we're, we're jumping into a new collection of talks this morning called Relationship Goals. Relationship Goals. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're my relationship goal. You are. Don't, don't, don't say it weird, though, because that could be really weird. <clears throat> relationship Goals. And each week, we're going to be unpacking a new goal that I believe, whether you've been coming to Ethos for a number of, of months now or you're brand new, regardless of where you're at in your spiritual journey, regardless of what you believe about God and faith, maybe you got tricked into coming this morning and somebody's like, I'll buy you lunch if you come to church with me, which is awesome, by the way, and, 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 but you're not really sure why you're here. If you don't believe any of the scripture that we read, I really do believe that if we apply the truth of what we're about to share, you'll still experience the benefit of that truth in your life, regardless of whether you believe it came from God or you're just like, that's kind of good wisdom. Somebody told me recently, like, Jordan, I don't know if I believe anything that you say, but I really like some of what you have to say, and I think it's just kind of good wisdom. I was like, cool, take that, apply it to your life, and, and, and I think that's, that's great too. But for, for a lot of us in here, though, I think what we're about to discover, if we lean into... We lean into our goal number one on week number one of our, of our relationship goal talks. I think if we lean into this fully, we'll say, that's pretty attractive. Like if I can apply that to my life and the person next to me can apply it to their life, yeah, we could build a pretty attractive community. So I want to share this morning from goal number one, the title of our message, if you're taking notes, goal number one, eradicate loneliness. Eradicate loneliness. Let's unpack that. A little bit this morning, but let's pray, because I don't think I've ever needed prayer more. Who am I kidding? I need prayer more all of the time. Don't laugh at me, Mike. I can hear your laugh back there, Mike Pettigord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you so much, and God, we just ask that you would open up our hearts as we surrender ourselves to you, that you would speak to us, share with us your truth this morning, make up the distance between what I prepared to say and what you want to say every single person in this place. As my wife said a moment ago, we pray that same thing in our kids' classrooms as well, that you would speak directly to their hearts and their minds, and that they would know more of your love after they leave this place today than they knew before they came in to Ethos this morning. God, I ask that you would strengthen my voice this morning as well. In your name, amen, amen. Two years ago uh, on Christmas, I guess really it was about a year, just a year ago now, Christmas of 2018, we we got my son um, kind of his first legitimate Lego set. You know what I mean by that? Like, like there's like the small little like 47-piece Lego sets. Then there's the real deal, like the several hundred-piece Lego sets. And I remember my, my son Judah opening up the gift, and, and, he, and as he unwraps it, he wants to immediately open the box. Parents, you know what I mean? Like, like as soon as they open the, the present, they don't care about the other presents in that. They just want to open the actual box. And therefore... It makes for a really messy Christmas morning, which drives me crazy. And, and so he, he begins to proceed to, uh, to open up the Lego box, and, and he wants to put it together. And so, so I open up all the plastic pieces and the plastic parts, and, and he, starts to, he starts to put them on top of one another. But, but I'm trying to tell him, Judah, son, no, 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 you got to follow the directions. Like, like, I like things to be orderly, neat, in the way that they're supposed to be. And so I'm trying to explain to him, if you follow the directions, you can make it look like it looks just in the front of the box. Wouldn't that be awesome? And he's like, yeah, sure. 
He just keeps on stacking the pieces on top of one another. And after several minutes of trying to explain to him that he's missing out on the best part of this Lego set, I realized I'm trying to convince a four-year-old. Like, what am I doing here? Like, I think Legos, though, are a lot like, a lot like relationships in our lives. Like, if we don't truly understand the purpose of them, we miss out on the greater benefit of why they exist to begin with. Think about this for just a moment. Here we have God who creates Adam, and then he creates Eve because he says it's not good that you should be alone, Adam. And so in return, then he says, now I want you all to create even more people just like you in my image according to my likeness and yours. Why did he do that? Why were relationships so central to the mission and the vision of God? In fact, recently I was reading this, this survey, this study that was con- completed in 2018. I thought it was pretty, pretty interesting and consequently kind of alarming as well. In fact, it found that, that loneliness, the study was all about loneliness, that, that loneliness reduces the average lifespan more than twice as much as heavy drinking and more than three times as much as an unhealthy diet. In fact, it said that persistent loneliness will reduce your average lifespan and is more physically dangerous than smoking 15 cigarettes a day. In fact, even furthermore, it said that 78% of Americans report feeling lonely, which is interesting because the study went on to say that that every 4.3 minutes, we pick up and look at our smartphone, which uh, uh, it accumulates at the end of our day to two and a half hours, on average, two and a half hours, Per day, some more, some, some less. So it's safe to say that, that as Americans, 21st century Western civilization, we are more connected than we've ever been before, but connection doesn't translate into community. Again, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, God says, it's not good. It's not good. Like, I don't know how else we can state it. I don't know if there's any other way to interpret it. It's just not good. You know what the word not good there in Genesis 2 in the original Hebrew language means? Not good. (laughs) It's not good that man should be alone, so I'm going to make him a, a helper suitable for him. Mother Teresa said this just before she passed away, that loneliness is the leprosy of the modern world. Now, Genesis chapter 3, just... Just after the infamous story of where Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit. Even if you didn't grow up in church and you're not really sure what you believe about God and faith, you're familiar with this story, at least to a certain extent, that we've got got Adam and Eve who have free reign of all the amazing fruit in the garden, except for one tree. Don't eat of this tree, okay? Everything else is proof that I love you, but by not eating of this one tree is proof that you love me. Okay, just don't eat it. And then we pick up in verse, verse 9 of Genesis 3, just after Adam and Eve eat of the fruit. And it says in verse 9 that the Lord God calls out to man. He says, where are you? Man answered, well, I heard you in the garden, Adam said, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, well, well, really, 
the woman that you put here with me, I mean, you see how good looking you made her, God. Adam's like, it wasn't really my fault. In fact, she, she, she kind of made me, oh, really? It's kind of your fault, God, because it's the circumstance that you put me in. So the woman that you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what's this that you've done? And the woman said, well, it really wasn't my fault. The serpent deceived me, and, and I ate it. I think a lot of us are like Adam. A lot of us are like Eve. We're naked and afraid. Not physically, thank God. <laughs> but we're naked and afraid, and we've forgotten what it's like, even in the midst of our shame and our brokenness. We've forgotten what it's like to be accepted and secure. A couple, couple years ago, what am I saying? More than a couple years ago, when I was a junior in high school, <laughs> that was 19 years ago. I was over at a friend's house, and, and in fact, there was a bunch of us in his basement, and it was a Saturday afternoon, and we were just kind of boys being boys, and we were roughhousing, and one of my friends kind of pushed my other friend into the drywall and, and put a hole right through the drywall. And so we all like, oh, shoot, like, we're going to get in trouble for this. And so one of us had the ingenious idea to go back into the storage room, and we found this large painting framed picture that we decided we're going to hang over the hole in the wall. Now, a couple weeks go by, and my friend's mom notices that there's a picture that she did not want on the wall. That's why it was in the storage room. And, and so she takes the picture off of the wall and realizes there's a hole behind this picture. And she goes to my, she goes to my buddy, and, and she says, well, where did this come from? And he's like, well, we were... We were kind of afraid that we were going to get in trouble. And she says to him, she says, listen, son. She said, until you admit that you broke it, mom and dad will never be able to fix it. I think that same thing applies in our lives. Henry Nguyen says this, that our life is full of brokenness, broken relationships, broken promises, expectations. How can we live that brokenness without becoming bitter and resentful except by returning again and again and again to God's faithful presence in our lives. See, brokenness is the unfortunate reality and condition of the human soul. The, the central task, I believe, of a healthy, life-giving church, a.k.a. what I would define as a spiritual community, is to create a place that is safe enough for people to take down their walls so that all of us feel safe enough to reveal our own personal brokenness. Only then can we fully experience the healing and restoration power of God. Let me unpack this just a, just a little bit more. See, in James chapter 5, verse 16, the author writes, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. In other words, you got to go to God for forgiveness of your sin, but you got to go to one another for healing from our past pain. And we don't like to do that, though, do we? We like to be like Adam and Eve. And we kind of hide in our, in our shame, in our brokenness. And we don't, we don't want anybody to really know what's going on because by putting on a front and by wearing a mask, we reveal to others that we're better than we actually are. 
But it becomes a cyclical thing, though, doesn't it? Because by you avoiding your own personal brokenness, it creates insecurity within everybody else to avoid ever dealing with their own personal brokenness. And so within a spiritual community, I believe that our central task is to get a place that's safe enough for people to say, I'm going to tear down my walls because I've seen that you've done the same. Now, now I think there's two types of communities. There's spiritual communities and there's unspiritual communities. Now, let me unpack this just a little bit, though. In, in, in spiritual communities, let's, let's contrast these two. In a spiritual community, people are, are, are pursuing safety with one another. But in an unspiritual community, think about this, we pursue safety from one another. In a spiritual community, you're going to have to help me out back there, DJ, put it up just a little bit because I can't remember any of my notes. In a spiritual community, and on that note, I'm going to take a sip of tea. Turn to the person next to you and say, this, this is okay, this is all right. And if you're newer, you're like, what am I doing here? <laughs> this guy's going to get us all sick. He has the coronavirus, I swear. <laughs> In a spiritual community, we individually have the integrity to come clean, but... In an unspiritual community, we unconsciously wear masks to avoid anybody knowing what's really going on in our lives. In a spiritual community, we own our own failures, but in an unspiritual community, we pass the blame. It wasn't really my fault, God. I mean, it was the woman. It wasn't really my fault. God, it was the circumstance that you put me in. It was the home that I was raised in. It was the person who hurt me in my past. That's why I in a spiritual community, we, we tell our entire stories, but in an unspiritual community, we leave out chapters intentionally. See, in a spiritual community, we, we own our shortcomings and failures. Why? Because we hate them more than what we hate the shortcomings and failures of others. Dr. Larry Crabb said this. He said, everything in a spiritual community is reversed from the world's order. It's our weakness not our competence that moves others. It's our sorrows, not our blessings, that break down barriers of fear and shame that keep us apart. It's our admitted failures, not our paraded successes, that bind us together in hope. A spiritual community, a healthy church, is full of broken people who turn their chairs toward each other because they know that they cannot make it alone. Because in a spiritual community, we all recognize we're wounded. All of us have failed. And all of us have felt the pain of rejection. At one point or another, all of us have sobbed or become angry over the unkindness of people and resolved to never let anybody treat us like that again. And so we put on a mask. We put on a front. And we choose to separate ourselves from people because we... We won't let anybody do that to us again. When I was three years old, my parents divorced, and I grew up in two homes, 50-50, split right down the middle, and both beautiful homes. They, they love me so much. I, I'm not void of parents who tell me that they're proud of me, that they love me. And both, both my mom, my dad, my, my stepmom, my stepdad, great environment in that sense, but but. Little did I know that it was creating within me, though, this, 
this, this perpetual feeling of always needing to please people. Because I thought, <coughs> excuse me, I thought, I thought that one of the reasons, I didn't even know this, I thought that one of the reasons why my parents split was because of my fault. It was, it was me. I must have done something. I was only three years old. And so growing up, I always had to make people happy. Because if I didn't, I was concerned that they were going to leave me too. And so I went on this just incessant drive within me to please everybody else around me. In fact, about three or four years into our marriage, my wife and I, we've been married for 13 years now, she, she picked up on something. She said, babe... She said, every time that we have like a, a disagreement, no matter how small or how big it is, it feels like you're afraid that I'm going to leave you. Like I was naked and afraid. And she said, I think this is because you don't really know why your parents split. Other than to say that maybe it was your fault. And so as a result, I, I would just like... When we have a disagreement, I just, I had to resolve, I still have to do this today. It's something I'm still continually working on. But I feel like I got to fix the problem right now. Because if we have any sort of disagreement and there's any sort of, of tension in our relationship at all, I'm, I'm like, I still have like this fear. Like she's going to leave me. But what's interesting is, it's not until I put that fear out in the open that God started to heal my heart and started to give me this security once again. That I don't have to feel this need to please everybody. And furthermore, if my wife says she's not going to leave me, she's not going to leave me. I don't know why she would. I'm amazing. <laughs> that was a great opportunity for you to say Amen. I think oftentimes we, we think, I'm looking at Judy down here, she's a counselor, and Judy's been such a great resource for us here at Ethos. And I think oftentimes we think that we're protecting ourselves when really we're just preserving our wounds. But by not being vulnerable. Brene Brown, I'm sure many of you have seen some of her stuff. She has some really famous talks on, uh, with her TED Talks and and she makes this statement, and I actually just wrote this down a moment ago when we were in worship because it just kind of came to my attention again. She, she made this statement. She said that guilt is the feeling that I did something bad, but shame is the feeling that I am bad. Guilt is the feeling that, oh, I'm sorry I made a mistake, but, but shame is the feeling that, oh, I'm sorry I am a mistake. Both guilt and shame cripple us. Both guilt and shame keep us from ever really being honest and real about what's going on inside of our lives. And that feeling, that propensity within us, that you ever heard that statement before? I just have to get this off my chest. You ever heard that before? I just, just got to get this off my chest. Where does that come from? Why do we feel that need? Because we do. Because God didn't intend for us to remain naked and afraid. In fact, there is something within all of you where you long to be loved at your absolute worst. You long to be seen and fully known, not just your good side, but your bad side. Not just the things that you put on Instagram, but the things that you don't. 
You long to be loved when things aren't really good in your life. But because we're concerned that we won't be loved in that place, we never let anybody into that place. We long to enter into a safe relationship of intimacy with Jesus. In fact, that longing to be loved at our worst is far more central to who you are than your failures and your fears are. But unfortunately, we feel our guilt and our pain more than we feel our passion to be loved. And so consequently, we identify ourselves more by what's wrong with us than by what God has made right with us. And in return, it's the reason why we place labels on other people. Because if I can label you, it helps me to feel like I can brush my label and my security under the rug. If I can focus on your pain, if I can focus on your brokenness, then I don't ever really have to deal with mine. And so we go around and we place these labels on people. We do this both within the church and in the world. And we say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's the one that's, uh, he's divorced. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's the one who's dealing with some of that sexual identity stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I heard that, that she's taking Prozac. Oh, yeah, yeah, her, yeah. Oh, no, he's, he's got some serious anger issues. And then when we look in the mirror, though, we see all of our brokenness. But, oh, no, no, I'm going to ignore that. I'm just going to focus on your stuff. And what does that do within us? It creates this cycle where other people don't feel safe and you don't feel safe either. And the passion to protect ourselves keeps our wounds out of sight where nobody can make them worse. And so that passion to protect ourselves becomes the strongest passion in our heart. And hear me, hear me. I wish I would put this on a slide. But it will remain your strongest passion until you experience a certain kind of relationship. Until you meet the crucified, resurrected Christ, Savior of our sin, who loves you no matter what, who loves you at your worst. And, 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 hear me, it can't just be about meeting Jesus. That's first. But it can't just be about meeting Jesus. We will remain we will remain that desire to always protect ourselves until we meet Jesus, the, full, the fullness of Jesus, until we recognize that he loves us just as we are, and we experience a person like Jesus, someone broken yet beautiful themselves. There was a, a pastor last fall, his name's Jared Wilson, and some of you are probably familiar with Jared's story, that we've got a picture of him and his family, and and Jared and his beautiful wife and his two beautiful kids, that Jared had, had, had struggled with depression for quite some time. In fact, he was very open about his battle with depression and anxiety. He didn't hide it, and he, he spoke all around the country and even the world and, and, and on this topic and, and created a safe place within the Christian communities for people to actually share that they would be struggling and have this pain themselves. But fall of last year, I believe it was September, if I remember correctly, Jared lost the battle to depression. The cough medicine is getting to me. And, and he took his own life. And I was, I was so, 
frustrated with the response of Christian leaders, many of whom did a great job of navigating that. But some, one particular guy whose name I won't mention, I used to follow him on Instagram and I stopped. And, and, and he posted a picture of Jared and his family and he said a few nice things at the very beginning. And then he said, you know, a couple years ago when Jared first came out and shared about his brokenness, what he was dealing with, this, this individual on Instagram said he should have been asked to step down and resign from his position as pastor. And he went into this whole dissertation about why. And there was just this split in the comments, thousands of comments, of which I think I read pretty much all of them. And, and just people kind of 50-50 polarizing on either side. And I just thought to myself, if there's a fear to ever share your brokenness because somebody's going to tell you that you can't do what God's called you to do. Not because of sin, not because of guilt, but because of shame. Hear me, hear me. Guilt is I need to say I'm sorry for the mistake and the error and the sin that I've committed. Shame is I, I didn't really choose this path. I didn't I didn't really decide to, to be depressed. And so if I can't feel comfortable to share that in what should be the safest communities in the world, then where can I feel comfortable and honest to reveal my brokenness? And so I had this long comment that I was going to like post back. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> no, it's not worth it. Because I think that within a spiritual community, we say, you know what, I'm going to choose to be the change. I'm not going to expect them to be the change. And so we go on and, and we find that the response in a spiritual community is this. And somebody can help me close this out on keys. Because when we start playing keys, it reminds me to shut up and it sounds really spiritual. <laughs> and so on that, I'm going to toast. The response of a spiritual community looks like this. That was really fast, Colton. You know Colton has never missed a Sunday before here at Ethos Church in 17 months. I was trying to make every excuse possible to miss this morning. I couldn't figure out a really good one, though. The response of a spiritual community is unconditional love, no matter what, whether it's a result of sin a result of shame, it's, it's unconditional love. Now hear me though, church, unconditional love is not unconditional trust. Hey, those two are mutually exclusive things. And so just because we unconditionally love somebody doesn't mean that we can unconditionally trust them. And no matter what, we have to be honest about our brokenness if we're ever gonna experience the healing that can only come as a result of transparency and confession and vulnerability. But sometimes though, in our honesty, there's consequences. And that's a good thing, though, too. I think the, the part of God's grace that often is misunderstood is discipline. Discipline is God's grace. It teaches us to don't do that again. I love my kids, and so I discipline them. And that's me being a gracious father. They don't understand that yet. But it's me being a gracious dad. It's my wife being a gracious mom. In an unspiritual community, our response is love based on performance. I'll love you depending on how, how you respond or 
what you do to kind of earn my love. The response of a spiritual community is to have face-to-face conversations. I'm going to talk to you face-to-face. I know that you're hurting. I'm not, gonna, I'm not just going to text you. Another. I'm not just going to, I'm not just going to even call you. Let's, let's sit down. Let's have coffee. Bring your family over to my home. Let's, let's have some conversations and let's build the vulnerability together so that we can experience the restoration that comes from honesty and transparency. And the response of an unspiritual community is to sweep issues under the rug. The response of a spiritual community is quick to listen and slow to speak. And the response of an unspiritual community is quick to speak and slow to listen. We've got to recognize our own brokenness. We've got to recognize it enough so that we can fully enjoy God's love and give it away. I think I could make a pretty convincing argument that if you don't recognize your own personal brokenness, you'll never fully experience the fullness of God's love in your life. You ever notice the people who have the craziest stories of redemption and the craziest stories of God's forgiveness are generally the ones who like go all out for God because they realize they've been forgiven of so much. And so they're so excited and passionate about God loving them at their worst. But the truth is, is that when you accept Jesus Christ, he doesn't just forgive you of small and big sins. He takes you who is dead and gives you life. He levels the playing field in one sense. He says whether you committed murder or whether you just kind of had lust in your heart, one of which we would say like, oh, well, you never really committed adultery, but you kind of lust in your heart. You looked at porn a couple of times or you looked at, you, 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 you kind of committed murder. Like, oh, that's a bad one. Jesus is like, no, no, let me, let me level all of these playing fields here, right here. Let me level them all. You're dead, and you're dead. But when you accept me as Savior of your sin so that I can forgive you of all of the error in the past, sin and shame that you've committed in your life, I'm going to give you brand new life. See, we got to recognize our own brokenness so that we can fully experience God's love and give it away. And when we do, we build a spiritually safe community. And without safe communities, we'll never own our brokenness and experience the joy of following Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Notice this cycle here. we got to recognize our own brokenness so that we can fully enjoy and experience God's love and give it away. And when we do, we create safe communities. And without safe communities, we'll never own our brokenness and experience the joy of following Jesus. And so it begins with you, and it begins with the person next to you. See, we need more spiritual communities. We don't just need more churches. We need more spiritual communities. When we set out to start Ethos Church, we said from the beginning, we will not be a fake church. Now refuse to play church. Anybody who just wants to play church, ethos probably isn't going to be the place for them. Because we're going to be honest. We're going to be real. We're going to be transparent. And we're going to call people out who don't allow safety within our community. Who talk about people and place labels on people and identify people according to their pain and their shame and their past. Oh, no, no, no. That's not welcome here. We We just don't do that here. That's just not how ethos rolls. And so all week in preparation for this message, I've been praying that we would identify ourselves within one of the four concluding points I'm about to share with you as we wrap this up here. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly. 
And I've just been asking that the Holy Spirit would do a work on your life, in our mind, and that we would see where we're at within these four points so that God could continue to take us further along and that together, collectively, corporately, as a community here at Ethos, we would build a spiritually safe place. Four stages of building a spiritual community. Number one is you say, well, I'm a good person, and so therefore I'm justified in criticizing immoral people. I mean, I'm kind of good, so they're kind of bad. And when I judge myself according to them, I'm justified because I'm not as bad as them. And if we're honest, that's where, that's where most church people are. The second, second phase is, is I'm a good person, and so I should probably have compassion on bad people. I mean, I'll, I'll show some empathy and concern to them because they're, they're probably hurting, and so it would probably be the right thing. The third phase is I'm a sinner. I'm broken. And I need just as much help as the next guy. But then there's one past that. And it's one that brings joy and freedom and peace in our lives. And it's, I am loved by Jesus just as I am. And so is the person next to me. I am loved by Jesus at my worst and at my best, which usually isn't even that great. And so is the person checking me out at Kroger tomorrow morning. So is that teacher who treats me unfairly. And so is that boss who's looked over me. And so is my spouse who's hurt me pretty deeply. But I'm loved. And so are they. So I'm going to close with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16. The Apostle Paul is writing, he says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow. That's what we're here to do, help, help each other grow. And only when we create a safe spiritual community will we eradicate loneliness. Because the two most powerful words when somebody else is struggling, when you learn and hear of somebody else's brokenness, somebody else's shame, somebody else's guilt, the two most powerful words, me too, I'm broken too, but I am loved by Jesus just as I am, so are you.